0: Please pray with me. Our Lord, we thank you that you have brought us to this place today, and we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We ask that you would, this morning, truly do that, truly speak to us, teaching us what we need to be taught, addressing those needs that we have that need to be filled not just those needs which we feel we have, but those ones which we truly have in your eyes. Will you, by your Spirit, through your word preached, move in our midst now, draw us closer to you, and help us to see Jesus. Pray this in his wonderful and matchless name. Amen. The, the last few weeks we've been working our way through kind of the vision of our church and, and the fact that uh, we exist, essentially that's what a vision statement is for. It says why you exist. We, we exist to, to know God. We exist to worship God. And those are the two things we covered these last two weeks. And this week, the third thing, we exist to serve God. And, and that's why I chose today's text, because it's a text that teaches us about serving God, what it looks like to serve God, and how life is for those who are serving God. In this story in John 12, we see certain things about serving God. Namely, I think we can see a picture of those who serve God as those who seek Jesus, those who glorify Jesus, and those who follow Jesus. And so those will be our three points that we'll work through this morning. First of all, those who serve God seek Jesus. I I heard a story this week, actually, about James Boyce, who was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It's a an old traditional church uh, with a, a giant pulpit in the front. And, and he spoke about the, the pulpits that he's preached in and how pulpits are interesting things. When you're sitting in the pew, you look at a pulpit and it's usually ornate like our pulpit is uh, with nice woodwork and carving on it. And it's stained nicely. It looks very pretty from the pew side. But when you're looking at it from this side, it's very different. There are things, there's some, some notes left over from last week here and, and a box of Kleenex you know, and, and you know just some wires down here and, and, and just it's not anywhere near as impressive on this side as it is on that side. But he talked about how, how there are other things sometimes. Sometimes you'll see a pulpit with a clock fixed to it or even he said he preached in one pulpit that had a light that was set to go on to let him know that he was running out of time and needed to wrap things up at a certain point. So there are different things that you find here but Boyce said the one thing that he most appreciated in any pulpit he had ever preached in he said there was one pulpit that had a sign affixed to the inside and on that sign was a quote from today's passage it said simply this sir We wish to see Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. I was talking to Randy Sturm this morning. He told me that that he'd heard Alistair Begg say that throughout many of the churches of Scotland, that's actually carved into the inside of the pulpit. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. You see, that's what a preacher's job is ultimately. As I step into this pulpit week by week and open up the Bible week by week and work through a passage of scripture week by week, it's not just an educational enterprise that I'm endeavoring to undertake. My job as I stand in this pulpit is to help you see Jesus. It's not just my job either. It's your job as well when you open the scriptures, when you sit under the preached word, you you need to look for Jesus. You need to try to see Jesus. Because if you are going to serve him, you must seek Jesus. Now the problem, of course, is oftentimes we we say that we are seeking him. We, We want to see him as he truly is. But in reality, we are not. Truly wanting to see him as he truly is we are wanting to see him as we would have him be we want to have a jesus who is is like we want him to be uh, the the old line goes that a long time ago god created man in his image and man has been returning the favor ever since you see we we want to create a god who is as we want him to be we need to avoid this we need to make sure that we're not doing this we need to see Jesus as he truly is and so we look to scripture we open the pages of the bible we we see who he is we see what kind of character he has what kind of mighty works he has done it's important for us then to do this why well as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if we are to know God for the purpose of being in a relationship with him, we need to know him as he truly is. We can't really say we have a relationship with him if we don't know him well. Remember, I, I used the example of how if I really wanted to impress my wife and, and be really sweet to her, I might buy season tickets to the Cardinals and arrange for us to be able to fly to St. Louis to go to all the baseball games. Uh, because I love her so much, that's the greatest gift you could possibly give someone, right? But that's not so special, because I'm not showing my knowledge of my wife in that. I'm just projecting on her what my thoughts are and what my beliefs are. We need to not do this with God. We need to not project on him an idea that we want him to be such and such, or we think he should be a certain way, but rather we need to see him as he truly is if we are to be in a real relationship with Him. <clears throat> and secondly, if we are in a relationship with Him, as He truly is, necessarily we will over time change. Any relationship that you are in will change you to some degree. That's why I always find it disconcerting, uh, troublesome. When when I hear people sometimes say, you know, they, they got married and, you know, and they ended up getting a divorce, you say, well, why, why did you end up getting a divorce, what happened? So well well, we changed. So well, no kidding. You know, I, you know, everybody's going to change. That's of course going to be part of the process. That's part of the goal in marriage, actually, I think, is that you would change. It is a school of sanctification. You are to help one another change and grow and become different people than you would be apart from each other. And so it is in any relationship. You'll be changed and We need to be changed by God in our relationship with him. That is part of the reason we are in a relationship with him is so that we might be conformed to his likeness, that we could be changed. We take great comfort in the fact that one day when Jesus returns, John tells us in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 2, that When he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. He says that is what will change us. That is what will make us like him. We will see him not according to our thoughts and our fancy and our wishes and our desires, but we will see him as he truly is. And we will be changed. To be like him and becoming like him we will glorify him we will bring him honor by being like him and that should not wait for that day but it should begin even now we should become more like Jesus so that he might be honored that he might be glorified What's the saying says that, that uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery right and so we, we ought to imitate Jesus and the way we live it's when we see him that he true, as he truly is that we begin to become like him and when we become like him we glorify him so we need to be in relationship with Jesus we need to be changed by him we need to see him as he truly is we need to seek Jesus That is how we serve God, first and foremost. Seek Jesus. But those who serve God don't just seek Jesus. They glorify Jesus. We said that one of the ways we glorify him is by becoming like him. As people look at us, they see our lives changed more like him, and he is to receive the glory. See, it's not just us doing this on our own. It is him doing this through us. So that he deserves the glory. It's not, you know, i really gotten my act together and I figured this all out and now aren't I special. But rather he has changed me and made me into the person that I am. And I don't shine with my own brightness, but rather I reflect his brightness, his glory, so that I'm, I'm like the moon, which has no light that comes from itself, but rather reflects the sun's light. So it is with us. We are like moons reflecting the light of the Son. S-O-N. And so let that be the case. That we would glorify him in that way. But also. We glorify him in another way. And that is by telling others. About him. Have you ever thought about that? That, that by telling others about Jesus. You glorify Jesus. It's interesting Jesus says here in verse 23 the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified and what most commentators think he's talking about here when he says the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified is he's talking about his death remember this is the last week of his life he is proceeding very rapidly toward the cross at this point and most commentators feel well that's Probably what he's talking about. But I think that, that that is to draw the picture a little too narrow. It's not quite to understand what exactly it is he's talking about. John Calvin put it well. He says that he didn't think that he's talking about his death. He said this, I rather view it as referring to the publication of the gospel as if he had said that the knowledge of him would soon be spread throughout every region of the world. You see, he's, he's saying that, that the Son of Man is glorified not just in his death, although certainly there is great glory in that, but he is glorified in his death and in the message of his death and resurrection being published, being spread widely, being broadcast, being spread throughout the whole world. That is where his glory is truly made manifest. You see, our glory is not just bound up in what we do, but in talking about it. On March 2nd, 1962, Wilt Chamberlain did something that nobody had ever done. He played for the Philadelphia Warriors. They were playing a game against the New York Knicks. And instead of playing in Philadelphia, where the Warriors normally played, they played this game this day in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was in front of only 4,000 people. And as they played on that day, Wilt Chamberlain scored the absolutely unheard of sum of 100 points. By himself, a hundred points in a game. You know, he had a bad quarter where he only scored twenty-three or something. You know, a hey, hundred points—it's—it's it's just unthinkable that somebody could do this. It was so amazing that when he scored the hundredth point, there were still forty-eight seconds left in the game. The crowd just rushed the floor. They just rushed the floor. They said, "Well, ball game—it's over. We'll just—we can't finish the game." It's just so amazing, and, and people were cheering and going crazy and giving him all honor and glory, of course, for this great feat that he had accomplished. But it was a strange thing. You know, there, there was no video broadcast of that game. In fact, because it was in Hershey, kind of in an off-the-road type place, there, there was not only no broadcast of the game, but there weren't any TV cameras there for the news crews. So there's no video of this performance. Beyond that, there was no press at all from New York that had come to that game. And just imagine if there had been no press from Philadelphia either, if there had been no media whatsoever. And of all the people who were there, just kind of stayed hush-hush about it, and that nobody outside of those 4,000 or so people there on that day said anything about it. Only 4,000 people would know. And today, Will Chamberlain would not be honored for that. You see, he still would have done everything that he did. He still would have had the exact same performance, the exact same 100 points. It seems as though it would still be as glorious. But if nobody ever told anybody about it, nobody ever knew about it, he would receive far less glory, would he not? You see what what happens is, he did something amazing, but then the true glory is made manifest in the telling of the story of how he did this. Through the spreading of that message, the good news being shared, Wilt will score 100. It's amazing. And so it is with Christ Jesus. It is glorious that he died for our sins, without question. It is amazing that he would take on human flesh, live a completely righteous life, that he would die for our sins. Though we were sinful, he would die for us and so love us. That is a glorious thing. But it is made all the more glorious by those sharing that word, sharing that message, spreading that gospel to others, Sharing the good news that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That upon him was placed the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. If we are to glorify God... We must share that message. We must spread that message. We must tell others about that message. In fact, I would say, and these are strong words. I mean them to be strong words because the strong truth lies behind them. I don't just mean this to be some kind of flippant, provocative statement just to, ooh, no. I I really mean this. So hear me well. If we have no desire... To share the truth of the gospel with others that calls into question whether we believe the gospel ourselves. I'm going to say that again. If we have no desire to share the truth of the gospel with others, it calls into question whether we believe the gospel ourselves. We should think about that. Do we believe it ourselves? Maybe some of you are sitting here saying, no, I don't. I think that the reason to come to church is to kind of get this moral improvement lesson. Maybe meet some nice people, hang out with them. They're good folks. I enjoy it, and that's why I come here. I don't really believe all that nonsense about God becoming man and dying for our sins. If that's the case for you, you're certainly welcome here in our midst. We're glad that you are here. But I would urge you to reconsider that stance. Perhaps you do believe that Jesus died for your sins, but you're not comfortable with sharing the truth of the gospel. That's understandable. Anything new, anything different than what you've done can at times be uncomfortable please come come talk to me come talk to elders of the church and let us let us talk about the gospel with you help you to understand it better help you to understand how you can communicate it better with others so that you might be able to share it with others that jesus might receive more glory so it is. Those who serve God seek Jesus. Those who serve God glorify Jesus. And finally, those who serve God follow Jesus. Now, what do we mean when we say follow Jesus? First of all, following Jesus is uh, following his teachings, right? Doing the things he says to do. You know, following his ethics uh, doing the moral things that he requires of us certainly that's part of it but it's more than following his teaching it's it's following in his footsteps it's being like jesus now on the one hand of course this is absolutely impossible there are certain things that jesus did that we can not do and we should not try to do only jesus could die for our sins and so it would be foolish of us to try to die for the sins of others so in one sense Being Jesus to somebody or for somebody is impossible. makes no sense. But on the other hand, there is a sense we are the body of Christ. He has gifted us so that we might, on his behalf, serve him by being like him. By showing others the love that he has shown us. By being not just receptacles of his grace, but being conduits of it. That as he pours his grace into us, it overflows out into the lives of others. Not because we somehow add something to it. Not that that God can somehow accomplish more because of us. Make no mistake. You plus God can accomplish the same amount as God by himself. Not more. But God chooses graciously to use us for his purposes. And so we... Follow Jesus, being like Jesus, so that he can use us for his glory. Now, at times, this will leave us to be an oddball, an outcast. At times, it will uh, mean we have unpopular views, be it in terms of ethics or epistemology. At times, we will need to die to ourselves. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now that's not a popular message, come and die. That's not the kind of thing you tell people when you want them to jump on board the bandwagon. And yet it is the message of Christ. He says, Follow me, take up your cross. And follow me. The cross is not a pretty piece of jewelry that he was talking about. It was a means of execution. A gruesome death is what the cross pointed to. And so Jesus says, take up your cross. Die to yourself. Experience what the Puritans called the mortification of the flesh. Dying to our natural sinful tendencies. And living instead for Christ. Why would somebody do this? What? I mean, dying doesn't sound like very much fun. Well, it is worthwhile for these reasons. First of all, in God's economy, the way to life is through death. Verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking, of course, not just in the abstract here. He's talking about himself. For just days later, he will be that grain of wheat that will die, but through dying, bring much life. It's not just true for him, but he sets a pattern for us to follow. This dying to ourselves. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, he's talking about hating life. He's not saying you should commit suicide. What he's saying is your, your mindset, your attitude toward this life should be such that your, your love for God so supersedes your love for this life that your, your mindset toward this life is as though it were hatred for this life second reason it's worthwhile is if we follow Jesus, we will be with Jesus. And what a wonderful blessing that is, to be with Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the Great Commission and how it's bracketed by those two phrases. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I will be with you always. What a wonderful truth. Jesus is with those who follow him. It's a wonderful thing. It is It is right here in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. It's what makes heaven so heavenly. You know, we we think about heaven and, oh, it must be, uh, you know, it's always sunny in heaven and the the greens are perfectly smooth and the Fish are always biting and, you know, such and such. I I don't know in, in the new heavens and the new earth what exactly it will be like. I think there's a lot of mystery to that, but I can tell you this for sure. What will make it, it will be wonderful beyond our wildest imaginations. And what will make it so is Jesus will be there. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. And for those who follow Jesus, they can be with Jesus. And finally, it's worth it because even though we are mocked by man, we will be honored by God. In verse 26, in closing, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We want glory. We want honor, don't we? That's why we tell stories about athletic exploits in high school. It's why we tell big fish stories. It's why we brag on our children. It's why we even want to be the one who shares that juicy bit of gossip before anybody else can share it. It's because we want other people to think special about us, that we somehow are more or better or different than others. That we somehow should be honored and glorified. We want this glory we want others to give it to us following Jesus means forsaking the honor of men but it means we forsake it and instead God will honor us and that is far better for that is a glory that is a true glory it is a lasting glory an unfading and unchanging glory it is a glory that will be ours If only we would serve God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have done far more for us than we could ever dream or imagine. We thank you that you have, though we were enemies, made us your children. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to see you, to know you, to follow you, to serve you. Make us faithful, we pray, that as we do those things, you might be honored, you might be glorified, and we might know you better. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now rise and sing with me our closing hymn, hymn number five sixty-eight. May the mind of